Well, I want to start this message by clarifying what the Bible is. If you have your notes, take them out and follow along with me. We want to talk about what this Word of God is and how we should consider it in the Christian life. The Bible is absolutely primary in the Christian life. It is the preeminent text in our life. There's no other book, no other source of information that matches the Bible in its preeminence. The Bible is the only inerrant and authoritative and sufficient text for us. It contains no error. It speaks with the authority of God, and it is all that we need for life and godliness. Inerrant, authoritative, sufficient. The Bible is not a book of suggestions. Many people approach the Bible that way, that it's just a book that gives a lot of good ideas about how you can do this or do that. That's not what the Bible is. It's also not just a classic work of literature. Now, to be certain, the Bible is an amazing work of literature. It's spoken by God. How could it not be a beautiful work of literature? Certain books alone, if you think of letters that were written by Paul or uh, some of the amazing sermons of Moses in the Old Testament, beautiful works of literature, but it's not just classic literature. It's not to be studied in a classroom alongside other works of literature like it's man-made. It's not a self-help book either. You don't turn to the Bible to improve yourself and to say, okay, what are some ways that I can be a better me? Let's turn here, and then I'll become a better version of myself. That's not what the Bible is. And it's not a mere textbook either. I wrote to you all in one of my uh, weekly emails recently, the devotional on the core value about studying Scripture admitting that this is something I have to watch out for in my own heart is approaching the text as a mere textbook. Because I love to discuss religious things. You know this about me, right? (laughs) I love to debate. I love to get to the heart of the issue. And it can become so easy to treat the living Word of God as though it's a mere textbook. And that is not what it is. Much more than that. Much more beautiful than that. So let me give you a definition. It's there in your notes with a couple of blanks for you to fill in. The Bible is the perfect Word, it's the perfect Word, from the good God who calls us to know Him and live for Him. The Bible is the perfect Word from the good God who calls us to know Him and to live for Him. Look with me at verse 68, Psalm 119, verse 68. This is on the front of your bulletin today. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. (laughs) What an amazing theological statement about God. He is good and He does good. And our response, teach me your statutes. Verse 96 also, it says, I have seen a limit to all perfection. Semicolon, your commandment is exceedingly broad. The psalmist is here saying, and by the way, we don't know who the psalmist is. It's likely David, but it could be a couple of other authors. The psalmist here is saying, I've seen a limit to all the things in this world that we would say are perfect. There's a cap eventually at all these things. And in contrast, he goes on to say, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. There's no end to the Word of God. And those of you who have been Christians for a long time know this. You've studied, you've studied, you've read, you've meditated. You've prayed these things, and have you reached the end yet? Not a chance. Not a chance. There's a limit 
to all things except for the commandment of God, which is exceedingly broad. So let's consider how we worship through and with Scripture. Let's examine the playing out of this definition of the perfect Word from the good God who calls us to know Him and live for Him. And the first thing we need to consider is our disposition as we approach the Word of God, our attitude toward the Word of God. What's your attitude toward Scripture? There are some of you certainly who are friendly with Scripture, who appreciate the Bible, who respect the Bible, who view it as the only text you should use in a religious setting, and that's all good. But what's your attitude toward the Word of God? What's your disposition toward it? Because we know people who revere marriage, who have been married for a long time, who respect marriage, but have a pretty poor attitude toward the covenant they've made, who have a pretty poor disposition toward it, who make jokes about it, who mock it. And so we want to consider our attitude toward the Word of God. First, it is for us to long for and to trust. We are to long for the Word and to trust the Word. And as we look at these verses in Psalm 119, there's, there's a lot of interchanging with the, the title of the text. You'll see law, you'll see statutes, you'll see commandment, you'll see word. There are upwards of 10 different references or titles to the word itself, but they're all basically interchangeable for our purposes today. We are to long for and to trust the word, meaning we rely upon the word as dependent creatures. Did you know that you are totally dependent on God? <laughs> You're totally dependent on the one outside of yourself. So you should long for and trust the Word. Let's see verse 41 together, verses 41 and 42. It says, May your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your Word. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. His word is our trust. We trust the word of God. We long for the word of God, and he comes to us with his word. You see that in these verses? May your loving kindness come to me, verse 41, for I trust in your word. His word is our trust. Over every other thing, every other word, every other counsel, we trust the Word of God. We trust the Word of God over what our parents say. We trust the Word of God over what the news advises to us. We trust the Word of God over what any other creature might say, especially ourselves. We trust the Word of God. And the psalmist throughout Psalm 119, we see him waiting for God before he acts. Five times in this psalm, the author says, I long for you. And another five times, he says, I'm waiting for you. Before he moves, before he acts, he wants to hear from God because he longs for his word and he trusts the word of God. And this is when God was still speaking. If this was um, speaking new revelation, that is. If this was David who wrote this psalm, we're looking at 3,000 years ago, just about. 3,000 years ago, where God was still giving Scripture. And can you imagine from David's perspective or whoever it may be, I want to hear from you. 
There's more I need to know. Tell me, direct me, show me. And here we are in the year 2021 with the all-sufficient completed canon, the Word of God right here. And so when we say we long for, we're not waiting for new revelation, but we're saying we can't wait to see what God has to say because He's given it to us already. We long for and trust the Word of God. Secondly, when we think about our disposition, we are to love and to treasure the Word of God. Not just long for and trust, but to love and to treasure. It is set before us as an object of love. That's the verse we opened up with in verse 97, I love your law. We are to treasure and love and utterly revere the Word of God. In Psalm 119, the author says that he loves the Word ten times. Ten different verses throughout the psalm, he says, I love your Word or your command or your statutes. Now, let's not get this confused and say that the Word is God Himself, because we don't believe that the Holy Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Bible, right? Uh, That's a mistake that we could make. However, the Scriptures are a direct revelation from this triune God. The Scriptures reflect God's nature. The Scriptures inform us of God. And we can understand this, uh, how we are to love the Word, when we think about music. Think of one of your favorite musical artists of all time and the music you like to listen to. And certainly you've said before, oh, I love fill-in-the-blanks music. I just love listening to that music. And you don't know anything about that musician, most likely. You've never met that person. You don't know that person's personality. You don't know how that person deals with difficult circumstances. You just don't know. And so we can say that we love the Word of God, and beyond our relationship with music, the Word of God actually does inform us of the character and nature of the author. And so we go in, and yes, we love the Word, and we love the Word not in the same way we love music, but beyond the way that we love music in that we find out more about God through His Word. We are to love and treasure the Word of God, learning more about God, learning more about man, and learning more about our task. Look at verse 14 with me. Look at what the psalmist says about loving and treasuring the Word. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Rejoiced in the way of his testimonies. What a joy it is to treasure the Word of God. Derek Kidner has written this. This is not merely a scholar's pleasure, but a disciple's whose joy is in obedience. It's not just a scholar's pleasure, a disciple's pleasure. Rejoicing in the ways of God, verse 14, rejoicing in the way of His testimonies. We are to love the Word of God. And the Word of God is given to us as a deposit that we keep within and passionately guard. When we consider our attitude toward the Word of God, viewing it as a treasure, it's a treasure that's been given to us, and it should be our passion to hold it deep within and to guard it as we would much gold. Look at verse 72 with me. It says, "'The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces.'" thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now, I know some of you keep track of the price of gold and keep track of the price of silver. 
thousands of pieces of these things do not equate to the value of the Word of God. That's extremely valuable. That's incomprehensibly valuable. Verse 127, it says, Therefore I love your commandments above gold, yes, above fine gold. Verse 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. There is rejoicing that is akin to getting physical treasure, and there's love and joy exceeding that great physical treasure, more valuable than any amount of money you could ever have. Knowing God through His Word truly makes you rich. We talked about this in our First Peter study Wednesday night, where Peter refers in the first chapter of his epistle that your faith is more precious than gold, which perishes. Your faith is more precious than gold. Meaning, this is the analogy I use Wednesday night, you take Jeff Bezos' $200 billion net worth, and you have more than he does. The richest person in the world with all the things he has, all the land that he has, and all the companies and things that are just running themselves, and he's making money hand over fist. He's sitting back, and you can just see dollars floating through the air. You are richer than that. You have more than that. You have the Word of God and a faith in the gospel that is more precious than that. What paupers out there counting their dollars? They're just out there looking at their bank account, growing and growing and growing, and they're so poor. And you are rich because you have the Word of God, and you have a faith in Jesus that no man can take away. It will never perish. It will only transform into sight. So we store the Word of God as a precious treasure with a view toward worshiping God in all things. Look at verse 11 with me. This is one of the most famous verses of this psalm. Back in verse 11, the psalmist writes, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So we treasure the word of God with this purpose. To discover holy reverence for holy living. The Word of God has been given to us as a deposit, as a precious treasure for us to store and to live for God out of holy reverence for Him. We are to long for and to trust the Word of God. We are to love and treasure the Word of God. And thirdly, when we think about our attitude, we are to delight and hope in the Word of God. Both to delight and to hope in the Word of God. Did you know that Scripture edifies you? Scripture builds you up. Nine times in this psalm, the author says, I have been delighted by your word. Nine times. Have you thought this way about the Bible? Have you thought this way about Scripture? Are you delighted by the word? It fuels our flame of faith. As we grow in the gospel, as we grow in our knowledge of God, as we grow in our knowledge of what we are here to do, our purpose, we find great delight in Scripture as it informs us, it builds us up, as God uses it as His means of imparting divine delight into your life. The Bible is not a word that breaks us. 
or kills us unless you are approaching it thinking you are righteous. If you approach the Word of God with your own self-righteousness, you will be broken. You will be laid bare. It will humble you. But from a position of God-given humility, you will be built up in the Word of God. You will find great delight and hope in the words of Scripture. Look at verse 49 with me, verses 49 and 50. The psalmist writes, Remember the word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. And verse 116 says, Sustain me according to your word, that I may live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. We have delight, revival, and hope in the Word of God. So for those who are without hope, whether those people are far from God, they've, they've never come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, or they are Christians who are struggling, who feel far from God, turn to the Word of God. It will revive you. It will bring delight to your soul. It will give you hope. It's not just a textbook, remember. It's living and active. We are to long for and trust the Word, to love and to treasure the Word, and to delight and hope in the Word. That's our attitude towards Scripture. And now let's consider what we're called to do with the Word and what to receive from the Word of God. Two things I want to give you to summarize what this psalm teaches. What are you to do with the Word of God? Obey. Obey the Word of God. 32 times in this psalm does it say keep or observe in relationship to the Word. It is the psalmist's desire to keep and to observe all that God has said. That's our task as those who are wanting to worship God rightly. This means we see the Word of God not only as divine instruction, which it is, but as a source of blessing. Go back to the beginning of the psalm with me, the very first verse. We're now getting to the start of the psalm. (laughs) Starting in verse 1, we'll look at the first two verses. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. The Word of God is a source of blessing for us. It is for us to look to in obedience, that we would keep it, observe it, and obey. Look at verse 31 with me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. As we approach it with the right attitude and approach it with a desire to obey, we are to cling to the Word of God. Faithful clinging to Scripture is what God desires faithful clinging. Now, of course, none of you will faithfully, 100% perfectly cling to the Word of God. We already know we won't obey it perfectly. We know that we won't keep it and observe it perfectly. There's only one who's ever walked this earth who has done that. And our hope is in Him. Our trust is in Him. Our righteousness comes from Him. The righteousness He earned is given to us freely. But now, as you've been renewed in your mind, you've been washed by the Holy Spirit It should be your desire to cling to, to observe, and to keep. 
This is our worship of God, is to approach the Scripture in this way. We are to look to apply it directly to our lives, seeing God in all areas of life, seeing the application of His Word in all areas of life. I think this is the most famous verse from this psalm, verse 105. There's even a great song about this, (laughs) or a song that is just these words. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know these words. Again, Derek Kidner wrote, It is a light to walk by, not to bask in. (laughs) Its educative power creates a discerning mind, for it is little help to have sight without insight. He's kind of a wordsmith, isn't he? It's light to walk by, not to bask in. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We're going somewhere. As you go, take the Word of God with you and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to shine His light on your path, that you would see application of His Word in all areas of life. I heard a story once of a a man who had been trained. He went to Bible college, went to seminary. He He had all the credentials after his name that you would want and a really smart pastor. So, you know, one of these days when you get a better one than me, look for these things, the things that come after his name. He had all the cred you would want. And during his ordination service, uh, different churches do ordinations differently, but this church had a panel of men asking questions, and he was answering the questions before an audience. And one of the men, an older pastor who had been through lots of things in life, he said, tell me what you believe about the purpose of the Word of God. Having just come out of seminary, he gave long explanations about the history of how people have viewed the Word of God, how we are to theologically approach Scripture, how we are to think through all of these things with all the isms and ologies that he could put in there, and he thought he gave a great answer. And the man, the old pastor on the panel said, I was looking for it, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We can complicate things, can't we? We can really make things confusing. And God has given us the word for really, truly a simple purpose, that we would know Him and live for Him. That the perfect word from the good God would be a light to our path. Any of you out there good at reading instructions after you've messed something up several times? (laughs) I do it all the time. Uh, I'm even worse on my phone. I get so many notifications that drop in on my phone and my instinct is swipe, swipe, swipe. A dialogue box pops up. Okay, X, get out of my face. I'm trying to do something. And then come to find out I really needed that information to do what I was trying to do. (laughs) And usually after I try my own way a dozen or so times, then I'll start reading those boxes that pop up or I'll get out the instruction and look. So many of us can fall into the trap of living our Christian lives that way. We're not getting instruction from God. We're not reading the Word. We're not coming to hear from the teachers He's given us and get encouragement from each other. We're just out there doing our thing. And we wonder why everything's falling apart. And there's an instruction manual just like sitting there in the corner. And there's the lamp. There's the light. We're fumbling around in the darkness, stubbing our toe over everything, getting bonked in the shin. 
And the lamp is right there to be a light to our path, to guide us and direct us wherever we go. Eighteen times in Psalm 119 does the author talk about true ways versus false ways or righteous ways versus sinful ways. And our desire with the psalmist should be to choose God's way in life. Look with me at verse 25. We're going to read a section this time, verses 25 to 32. It says, My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. You see the contrast between true ways and false ways there? and our desire to set God's Word before us. Verse 45, just go down the page a bit, verse 45. He says, I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. So many people out there think when you look to live life God's way, you look to obey God in all areas of life, well, you're just trapped. That's asking for shackles. That's asking to be put in a cage. What can you do? You're so limited in what you're allowed to do. But here the psalmist says, walking in God's precepts is liberty. There's an enlarging of the way. There's true freedom in living for God, seeing things for what they really are in this world and looking to worship Him. God's way is freedom. It's bondage to remain in sin. Not only this, but God's Word, as we seek to obey it, gives us stability in the midst of even challenging circumstances. Look at verse 84 with me. Verse 84, he writes, "'How many are the days of your servants? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The arrogant have dug pits for me, men who are not in accord with your law.'" All your commandments are faithful. They they have persecuted me with a lie. Help me. They almost destroyed me on earth. But as for me, I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. When the storms of life are raging... The Word of God, meeting the Lord in the Scriptures, is our anchor. When all around everything's falling apart, when we're being attacked, when we're being accused, when we're being guilted, the Word of God keeps us steady. The Word of God holds on to us. And let's just be real, worshiping God in obedience is a battle. Seeing your daily life as worship to the Lord and seeking to cling to His commands and obey and to follow, that's warfare, isn't it? That is a real battle. 
And here the psalmist cries out all these things that are happening to him, happening to him. And he says, verse 86 again, all your commandments are faithful and revive me according to your loving kindness. And finally, as we seek to obey the Word of God, we should seek to pass it on to our children. Just go down a couple of verses, verse 90. It says, Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You established the earth, and it stands. How does the Word of God and His faithfulness continue throughout all generations? Through worshiping Him by passing it on to your children. In Deuteronomy 6, the the Shema passage, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It goes on to say that you should take the Word of God and you should put it on your doorposts. You should put it everywhere where your children can see. Raise Raise your children up in the instruction of the Lord. In obeying God, you're to see in view a passing on to your children and your grandchildren to the next generation as far as it depends on you. It's one of the best goals you can have in life is to impart the Word of God to the next generation. And secondly, as we consider what we're called to do with the Word of God, we should consider what we receive from the Word of God. We are to meditate on Scripture to receive wisdom and purpose in life. Eight times in this psalm, the author says that he meditates on the Word of God, that it's his meditation. And this is beyond just reading. Reading the Word of God is good, but that's not meditation. Meditation is actually walking away from the Word of God after your devotional or whatever it is, after a sermon, and thinking about what was said from Scripture. We never want to fall into the pattern of reading or hearing and then forgetting everything when we walk away. That leaves no opportunity for meditation. Meditating on the Word of God is having it in your head and thinking about it as you go throughout life so you can see how it touches on everything you're doing. It's a really critical aspect of Christian living. And as you do that, you receive wisdom and purpose in this life. God's Word is truth. And along with the psalmist, we should be asking God to teach us. He says ten times in the psalm, teach me. I want to learn. Let that be our posture because we will receive instruction. Verse 160, look down at 160. An amazing statement. It says, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. So just like when the disciples were standing there after Jesus fed the 5,000 and all the people went away, you remember that? The crowds dispersed. And the disciples were still there, and Jesus asked them, Why are you here? Are you going to head out too? Remember what Peter's response was? Where would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. God imparts those words to us through the Scripture. As we meditate on the Word, we get wisdom. The Word shapes and checks our thinking It checks our affections. You know your emotions are just so prone to go everywhere, aren't they? Your mind is prone to just latch on to something else. But the Word of God balances things out. The Word of God checks all of those things. In Ephesians 4, Paul said that he was asking for the Ephesians to be renewed in the spirit of their mind. 
The Word of God renews the spirit of your mind. Amazing, amazing thought. And we're given peace through our meditation on the Word of God. Not just wisdom and instruction, but peace. We are promised this if we love the Word. Look at verse 165. It says, those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. Can you hold on to that promise? Can you grab onto that today? Do you love the Word of God? It gives you peace, and nothing will cause you to stumble. It's a supernatural peace. Through our meditation on the Word, we live out our purpose with praise. As I mentioned, God's Word reflects God's nature and God's character. Therefore, He's magnified through our embrace of it. God is glorified as we embrace the Word of God. In this psalm, it says that the Word is righteous and trustworthy and true and faithful. Only God is righteous and trustworthy and true and faithful. But His character is found in the Scripture. Therefore, as we get more of the Bible, we get more of God. Eleven times in this psalm, personal revival is in view and praise. Look at verse 92 with me. We see how the psalmist is refreshed and renewed by the Word of God. Verses 92 and 93, it says, If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me, revived by the Word of God. Therefore, the Word of God should saturate our singing. What are the best Christian songs, especially the best Christian songs to sing here together? They're the songs that have Scripture in them, right? Mark talked about this last week as we were considering music as worship. The Word of God set to song. How beautiful is that? Because you can't beat the original, right? (laughs) The Word of God, we can't come up with words that are better than the Word of God or more beautiful than the Word of God. Look at verse 169 with me. We're going to read a little section, 169 to 173. He says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your Word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Let my lips utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. Let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. Praise is the right response to the God who is always right. Have you ever thought about that? God is always right? Always. And what's our response as creatures? It should always be praise. Verse 38 says, Establish your word in your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach which I dread, for your ordinances are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Praise offered to God, personal revival. Well, let's close in the last few minutes here to make an application 
of the worship experience on two levels. I want to talk about individual worship and corporate worship. Individually, how do you worship through Scripture? How do you worship with Scripture? And corporately, what should be the goal? How should we structure our services together to worship through the Word of God? First, individually, we have to recognize that it is our great privilege to worship through the Word of God. It's a privilege to hear from God. We're in a very privileged position to be English-speaking people in the 21st century. Do you know how much access you have comparatively to the rest of the world today and to the rest of the world in world history? We have, in our language, in multiple versions, the Word of God preserved for us, that we would take up the privilege of reading and meditating on the Word of God. The God who personally made you, and if you're a Christian, the God who has personally saved you, has given you a word that is sweeter than honey. We read that in Psalm 119 earlier, or Psalm 19. The word is sweeter than honey, and He has made the word understandable to us. He's preserved it in our language where we can understand it. I heard a story once of a, a man who was meeting with some backwoods Russians who knew a little bit of English. They weren't fluent at all. He was in a, a meeting with them, and one of them requested tea. So the man went on and put on some boiling water and put it in a cup and gave the man a, a tea bag. And the man from Russia went to tear the tea bag to drop the tea leaves in. And the man said, no, no, we throw the whole bag in. And then the man requested some sugar, so he went and got some sugar for him, and he handed it to him, and he threw the bag in. And he said, no, you got to open it and pour it in. (laughs) There are so many things in life that we just don't get, that we just do because we don't understand. And we, we hear something, we start to do it, and then we apply it in the wrong way. But the Word of God makes things clear, doesn't it? As you individually hear from the God who made you and saved you, He can clarify the most important things of life, and show you and reveal to you His truth. How many Bibles do you own? I saw a poll on Twitter earlier this week asking that question. The majority of people who answered that question, you know, of course, they're mostly Americans, English-speaking, I believe, because of the person who asked the question. But the majority of people responded over 10. Over 10. You've got heirlooms, you've got different versions, you've collected things throughout your life. We've got Bibles all over the place. Are we reading them? There's no one way to consume the Bible. I'm not here to say, you've got to get on this reading plan, do this, do that. There's no one way to do that. But it's our privilege to eat the Word that's sweeter than honey. It is a great privilege to hear from God. The Bible is our companion through life. It's our manual through life that is divinely inspired and the author is right there with us as we study. So let's look not only to read our Bibles, but one more application individually. Bring the Scripture to bear on your prayer life. Think about how this affects your prayer life. Because when you draw near to God through the Word of God, He hears you. And he draws near to you. Richard Sibbs, he lived a long time ago. 
But listen to what he says about this. When we hear any promise in the Word of God, let us turn it into a prayer. God's promises are His bonds. He loves that we should wrestle with Him by His promises. When you hear a promise in the Word of God, turn it into a prayer. I like that. Bring it to bear on your prayer life. Secondly, corporately, how are we to worship with the Word of God? Well, just as it is our privilege to study, to learn, to grow, to hear from God individually, corporately it is our duty to gather for Word-centered worship. Our worship together should be Word-centered. What is our worship if we are not holding up Scripture in the place it deserves, if it's not centered around the Word of God? We come together and hear from the Word of God for admonition, which is correction, and also for edification, encouragement, to be built up, that we would experience more of God's good instruction and experience more of the Spirit-giving joy and peace that the Word has. All the elements of our gathering must be directed by the Word of God. Insofar as it depends on us, we seek what the Word of God has to say about what we're doing here together. And the duty of pastors is to teach and preach the Word. No so-called pastor should stand up and preach and teach anything else but the Word of God. And they are to lead by it. The elders in a local church are to lead, to rule, to use a New Testament word, by the Word of God. By nothing else. There are some... Instances where you have to make a call, that's a gray area, of course. But the rule of thumb should not be lead by your gut instinct in a local church. It should be to seek the Word of God and what it has to say. That's where all the authority rests, is in the Word of God. And what is our only encouragement and counsel to one another as you think about body life here? What do you have to give someone else? as encouragement and counsel. Sure, you have spiritual gifts, and you have love that expresses itself in so many ways. But what is the best encouragement and counsel you have for a fellow believer? The Word of God. God's revelation. By prioritizing Scripture in our corporate gathering, that's how we are to worship God. That's how we'll do it rightly, for His honor and for our good. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank You so much for Your Word, which is living and active. Active in our lives through Your Spirit who indwells us. And we ask that You would make just a greater and greater vision for Your Word in us. That we would see more and more of You in the Scriptures. That we would long for and trust and love and treasure and delight and hope in Your Holy Word. Give us endurance for this race that you've set before us and empower us by your divine scripture. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.